Welcome to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this new message from Pastor Brian Gibbs. Grab your Bibles tonight. I'd like you to go to 1 Chronicles 21. Just a couple more minutes, Cody. 1 Chronicles 21. We're going to read 30 verses tonight. I know this is an extended amount of reading, and we never apologize for taking our time to just read through the Word. Amen? I think it's really important in 2018 that we're reading the Word in the church because there's, there's unfortunately, there's, there's a lack. It seems like there's a, a famine in the land of the Word. So we, we want to honor the Word tonight. First Chronicles chapter 21. I've been reading through in just private time in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles again. The Lord has really given me a strong, powerful word for tonight. So just pray with me tonight. Um, I know that we're about to record this message as well, and I'm just thankful for the stewardship of this house so that this word can go forward. Father, in Jesus' name, I just thank you for a fresh anointing, even upon me as your messenger, to just carry this word, Lord, tonight. I pray that it's absolutely impactful and life-changing and transformational, transformational in the realm of our understanding and our thinking, Lord, fresh anointing upon the hearer and upon the messenger. Amen. Are you there? First Chronicles 21. Thank you, Cody. Thank you so much. What a night. Our worship was incredible. <laughs> now Satan stood against Israel. <laughs> what an introduction. Now Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel or to census Israel. And so David said to Joab, to the leaders of the people, go and number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. But my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? Why then does the Lord require this thing. Are you kind of picking up that Joab is getting a red flag? You kind of picking it up? Why should there be a cause of guilt in Israel? Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab, and therefore Joab departed and went throughout all of Israel and came to Jerusalem. And Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to David, all Israel had 100 million, or I'm sorry, 1 million, 100,000 men. 1 million, 100,000 men who drew the sword. Now make sure you, you take some good notes tonight. Maybe you want to circle that in your Bible. 1 million, 100,000 men who drew the sword. And Judah had 400, 470 thousand men who drew the sword but he did not count Levi and Benjamin among them for the king's word was an abomination to Joab 
You may want to underline that. And God was displeased with this thing, and therefore he struck Israel. And so David said to God, I have sinned greatly because I have done this thing. But now I pray, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolish. And then the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer or his prophet. Go and tell David, thus says the Lord, I offer you three things. I give you three choices. Choose one of them them for yourself that I may do it to you. And then Gad came to David and said to him, thus says the Lord, choose for yourself either three years of famine or three months to defeat, uh, be defeated by your foes with the sword of your enemies overtaking you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, the plague in the land, and with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all the territory of Israel. Now consider what answer I should take back to him who sent me. And then David sat, said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let me fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are very great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. Wow. For the Lord sent the plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. And as he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented of the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying, It is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. And then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. You seen this? My God. So David and the elders clothed in sackcloth fell on their faces, and David said to God, Was it not I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done this evil indeed. But these, your sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they be plagued. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So David went up by the word of Gad, which was spoken in the name of the Lord. And now Ornan turned, watch this. Now Ornan turned and saw the angel and his four sons who were with him hid themselves. But Ornan continued threshing wheat. A few more verses. We're almost there. And David came to Ornan, and Ornan looked and saw David, and he went out to the threshing floor, and he bowed down before David with his face to the ground. And then David said to Ornan, grant me this place of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar on it to the Lord. You shall grant it to me, watch this, at the full price. 
that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. But Ornan said to David, take it for yourself and let the Lord, the king, do what is good in his eyes. Look, I will also give you oxen for burnt offerings and the, and the threshing implements for wood and wheat for the grain offerings. I give it all. Then King David said to Ornan, no, but I will surely buy it for the full price. For I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings that which costs me nothing. So David gave Ornan 600,000 shekels of gold by the weight for, by weight for the place. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings and called on the Lord and he answered him from heaven by fire on the altar of burnt offerings. So the Lord commanded the angel and he returned his sword to its sheath. At the time, when David saw that the Lord had answered him on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite, he sacrificed there. For the tabernacle of the Lord and the altar of the burnt offering which Moses had made in the wilderness were at the time at the high priests were in Gibeon. But David could not go before it and inquire of God, for he was afraid of the sword of the angel of the Lord. Hmm. What a story. What a story. It's powerful. I want you to write this down tonight. What will it cost? Would you write that down? Take some really good notes tonight, please. Take some really good notes. What will it cost? What will it cost. What will be your investment? I want you to think about that tonight because what is happening here is actually going to cost every one of us. And it's going to require that every single one of us take ownership and responsibility of stewarding what God wants to do right here. So you cannot coast on the faithfulness of others. I want to say that again. You cannot coast in here on neutral on the faithfulness of others. You cannot rest on the discipline or the prayers or the giving of others. You know, you know, in sports, you can't be on a team unless you actually show up. You know that? You know, in sports, you, you, those that are actually on the team are those who show up early and they, they leave late. They're actually the ones that put in the hard work. Those on a real team, they show up and they do the hard work. They do the heavy lifting. Are you, I'm preaching prophetically. Are you with me? They show up and they do the heavy lifting. They do the work. They do the sweating. They do the relearning of the plays. The team goes back and they relearn and they learn the plays and they go through the formations and they go through the plans and they learn and they relearn and then they go back over the mistakes that they made and they they redo it again, and let's run the play again. And the coach says, let's run the play again. Let's work at that again. Let's relearn that again. Those that are on the team, they show up. They do the work. They do the heavy lifting. They do the sweating. Are you seeing this? 
You know, no, no one on a team just gets a complimentary jersey. Have you ever, you ever seen that? It doesn't, it doesn't happen, does it? You don't just get a complimentary jersey and you get to walk the sideline, you know, throwing a ball around. You know, you're just one of the guys. You're on, you're, you're, you know, we're just giving you a complimentary jersey and a complimentary ball. That's not how it works. Those who wear the jersey have put in the time. They put in the discipline. They put in the time to work hard. I want to say to you, it will cost you. It will cost you. It will cost every single one of us. I'm going somewhere with this tonight. I want to ask you, what will it cost you? Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 36, he said, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his own soul? What is Jesus getting at? He's getting at the cost. What will you give it in exchange for your life? The greatest change and exchange that we can give is our life for the, for the Lord's life. Amen? That's what literally brings us into the kingdom, giving your life for his life that ushers us into the kingdom. But Jesus is getting to the core of this. He's saying it's going to cost you. You ever seen people, or maybe I'm about to describe you. You ever been out and you've seen someone or you've seen yourself, you're out shopping and you pick up a pair of boots or you pick up a really nice suit coat or you, or you pick up a nice pair of sunglasses or you pick up a dress or you pick up a shirt and all of a sudden you're like, oh my gosh, i got to have this. I want this. I can see myself wearing this. Have you ever done that? Okay, no one's talking to me tonight. Okay, have you ever done that? Yeah, and then all of a sudden, what do you do? You grab a hold of the price tag and you turn it around. And suddenly, suddenly what happens is, is like you're like, man, I was in love with these sunglasses. I wanted this hat. I wanted this dress. I wanted this shirt. I really wanted this. But boom, you have an epiphany. And, and, and all of a sudden, in your mind, you're actually offended, and you gasp at the price. And you, you, you kind of put it back on the shelf really quick, and you're like, I ain't paying money for that. You ever done that? Sure. Sure you have. There's like 20 shirts hanging in Tommy Bahamas right now that I'd love to buy. But every time I pick them up, I go, oh my gosh. It's offensive to my mind. Are you tracking with me? Anytime you are tempted to sin, anytime you have temptation coming to you in your life, you better turn around the price tag and in and, and really investigate the price tag of what it will do to your life, what it will do to your spouse, what it will do to your kids, what it will do to your family. You have to inspect the price tag. Are you breathing in this room? It's quiet. <laughs> the story of a young man, he goes out to buy his mother, a Mother's Day gift, and he wants to pick up some Mother's Day perfume for his mom, and, and the... Uh, the clerk there says, can I help you? He said, I really wanted to get some perfume for my mom. And so she brings out a little bottle of perfume, and he's like, oh, how much is that? And she says, it's $75. He's like, no, no, it's, it's going to cost me way too much. Can I see something else? She brings another bottle. This one's going to cost 50 Okay, no, that's, that's way too much. And she brings out another bottle, and he's like, how much is that one going to cost me? She's like, $25. He's like, but listen, can you show me something cheap? She pulls out a mirror from underneath the counter and just puts it in front of his face. <laughs> what is it going to cost? What is it going 
to cost. Come on. It's interesting when you start talking about the cost of things and who's actually going to put in. See, there are people right now who live a life, they're running from the cost of anything. But what you're going to discover tonight is so beautiful in the life of David that David was looking to pay a price. He was looking to put a cost down. He was looking to put everything down before the Lord to give everything for what was most priceless and precious to him. My wife and I, we were approached when um, Victoria was much younger, and, and Victoria, she really excelled in gymnastics. And I remember when the coaches came to me and Bren, and we were just starting our first church that we were pioneering, and the coaches came to us, and they said, look, your daughter... Your daughter has so much potential. She has so much talent. She's going to be able to excel so fast. Let us coach Victoria. And we knew, we knew as a mom and dad, she had incredible potential. And and the coaches went on and on. And they were courting us, courting us, please let us do this. And we knew at that time in our young family, there's no way. And we chose to say, no, we, we cannot go that direction. Why? What did we do? We turned around the price tag. And we looked at the cost. Are you hearing me? You have to look at the cost. You know, isn't it strange? Isn't it very strange that this, this story, if you read the book of First and Second Samuel, look at it another time, but Samuel closes his book out with this very story. And it's a very strange way to end a book, I've written a book, and when you author a book, you want to put a slam dunk on the end of that book so you can go, here's the apex. I was talking with my son the other day, and um, thankfully, my wife made um, Bold as Lions, my newer book, uh, part of the curriculum that he had to finish for his senior year. I really appreciated that. <laughs> so I asked Josiah, I said, son, How'd you enjoy the book? And he said, you know, Dad, it, it was interesting. All the characteristics for all ten chapters, he said, to me, it just seemed to talk about leadership the entire way. And I was like, wow. And what was interesting to me was that the first, the first actual title for the book was leadership. It wasn't bold as lions. It was just leadership. And spliced all through everything I was writing was about leadership. But what... Solomon does, I'm, I'm sorry, Samuel does, is he saves this story for the closing of his book because this is what he wanted to reveal. He wanted to reveal something about David and the heart of David, but he also wanted to reveal something very, very important about the very heart of God because David had been somewhere and David had learned this. He learned that worship and offerings and sacrifice to God are not about meeting some need that God has. You may want to write it down. But he found out that it was something that we need to do as a sign of our covenant love to God by giving ourselves completely unto God. Let's jump into this story. This is a wild story, and some of you are just kind of getting familiar with the story, and you're like, man, where's Brian going with this? This is a radical story. 
I want you to read verse 1 one more time with me. Now Satan stood against Israel and moved, notice that, and moved David to number Israel. This is very, very important. It wasn't just some little imp or some principality. It says it was Satan. Do you see that? There has always been an epic battle in the earth raging for over Israel. Why? Because God said, he said, Jerusalem shall be my throne in the earth. And ever since God made that declaration that Jerusalem shall be my throne in the earth, there's been a raging and a warfare that has gone on. Now notice it says Satan stood against Israel and moved David to number Israel. This is wild. David's great sin was that he ordered a census to be taken in Israel. And some of you are kind of scratching your head still, and you're, you're thinking this question, what is wrong with that? What is wrong with, with just numbering the people and taking a census? I mean, the book of Numbers is named after a census. But the problem is with this is that David wanted Joab. And who is Joab? Joab is the military chief of staff. He ordered Joab over the army to take a census and report what they would bring back for, notice what it says, the number of fighting men available. Don't, don't miss this tonight. I'm preaching to you prophetically. We're not just doing a history lesson through the Old Testament tonight. This is a big deal. We're moving in the prophetic. Thank you. I appreciate that. Please stay with me, folks. We're moving in the prophetic. So Joab comes back with the number of fighting men. Why is this such a big deal? Because Satan was trying to spoil the promise of rest that, that was given as a word to David over his seed, Solomon. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, put it in your notes and go over this this week. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, he said, David... I'm not going to allow you to build that temple or that house. You're a man of warfare. You've shed so much blood. He said, I'm not going to allow you to build that house, but I'm going to have your son, your seed, your heir build that house. I asked you the question last week. How many days, how many days did Solomon spend in warfare in his reign? The answer to that is zero. And the reason was is because David is a type of Christ a revelation to us that Jesus would come ending literally our warfare over the works of the devil for it was this reason that Jesus was manifested in the earth that he might destroy the works of the devil and crush Satan under your feet. My God, I'm preaching. Are you, are you with me tonight? Seriously, I need to know. I really need to know. Are you with me tonight? Wow. This is very important. Notice that Satan was moving to sift, to ambush, to sabotage David to get him to count the men. This is big stuff. This is big stuff. Why was this such a sin before God? Because the enemy was after ambushing the word so that war would go into the next generation. I'm going somewhere with this. And I'm going to go the long way around this track to speak something prophetically to our church tonight. Uh -huh. Come on. Uh -huh. 
I want to say tonight, you cannot get me into a fight unless I want to fight. You may want to write it down. You cannot get me into a fight unless I want to fight. Sounds like something Bruce Lee would say. I think my dad likes that one tonight. How many of you remember the old Tombstone movie when they're trying to get Wyatt Earp to respond? How many of you remember this in Tombstone? And so, suddenly Doc Holliday just steps, step, steps out of the, the shadows and he says, I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> you, you want some guns? I'll bring you some guns. I'll be your huckleberry. <laughs> you can't get me into a fight unless I want to be in a fight. What am I saying to you? I'm saying to you that David was a man of warfare. David had warfare in his bloodstream. David had warfare in his DNA. It was still pulsating through him. What was David doing? I submit this to you tonight, that this census was not just to kind of satisfy a curiosity about the, the size of the population. David was not doing that. But see, God knows the hearts of men. That's the thing. There's nothing hidden before God. We're all laid open, and he knows. He reads us openly. So David didn't just have a curiosity about the population. What David was actually doing, David was creating a draft registration. Are you seeing it? Why is he doing that? Because warfare is still in his mentality. Warfare is still in his mind, and he's in a struggle. He's in a struggle. I've got a word, and I've got a promise from God. And God has told me that my heir and the next generation and my son is going to rule and reign in peace, and he's not going to know one day of warfare his entire life. And yet he is concerned. He's wrapping up the story and the legacy of his life. And he's telling Joab, go and measure the people fighting men. And Joab's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's a red flag. What are you doing? You can't do this. God has given you a promise. You're making me nervous. David, you're making me nervous. And so God stirs Gad, a prophet, a seer up to bring a word to David. Y'all still with me? <laughs> Y'all with me for real? Why is God so upset? Can you, can you see that God's upset? Look at what we just read. God is, God is on fire because God had given him a promise. Peace is coming to your heir after you. The promise of rest, David, still remains. The Apostle Paul writes about this in Hebrews chapter 4 to the New Testament church. And when he begins to unfold this revelation in Hebrews chapter 4, he says, there is a rest that remains therefore that you are to work and struggle hard to make sure you ascertain and enter into that rest. And then he begins to point to David that this was available in David's day. Yet now this promise remains for the New Testament body of Christ to enter into this. I'm going somewhere tonight. Are you with me? What is wrong with this picture? Think about it. What will it cost you? What will it cost you? What will it cost me? What will it cost my family? What will it cost my friends? What's it going to cost this body as a family as we're forging together and moving forward? What will it cost us? What is wrong with this picture? David 
is actually forgetting the lessons that he has learned by fighting a lion, fighting a bear, fighting Goliath, fighting a demon-possessed Saul who's trying to take out his life. He's forgetting the lessons that he learned over many, many years. What was he forgetting? David was forgetting this, and I want you to write it down. He was forgetting that the Lord is the one who goes before you in battle. He was forgetting that our strength does not lie in ourselves. The strength that is in us is Christ in us, the hope of glory. It is not found in ourselves. It is found in Christ in you, the hope of glory. My God. I know I'm preaching like I'm in a stadium tonight. Because I'm not just preaching to those who are in this room. God had to prove something to David time and time again. And here's what he wanted to prove to David. It doesn't matter how many men you have, David. You have me. Somebody shout. He said, it doesn't matter how many men you have, David. You have me. He says, I am the Lord, your God, who fights for you. I'm quoting Exodus 14, 14. He says this. He says, I am the Lord your God who fights for you, and you shall hold thy peace. Exodus 14, 14. Says, this is what God is saying. He's saying, David, listen to this, guys. We're moving in the prophetic right now. He's saying, David, I'm leading you and your kingdom into rest and into a total victory over your enemies. My word over you, David, is that it's not going to happen in your day. You have finished your warfare, but there's coming a day that your seed's going to be anointed. Zadok's going to pour that oil over Solomon's head, and he's going to rule and reign in total rest and not see warfare another day of his life. Where's Brian going? Let's keep going. Come on, let's keep going. The reason that God is upset is because God is saying this, and these are my words. David, don't mess with my plan. Don't you mess with my plan. David, get out of my way. Do not allow Satan to ambush you. So David's planning a military draft. You all see this? He's planning a military draft. He was supposed to be trusting in God and His might rather than His own strength. But the warfare is in His blood. I want to say this tonight. See, Israel was becoming just like all the other nations at this time. They're becoming like all the other nations. How, what do I mean by that? Israel was being ran by human power. They were, they were conducting themselves with human structures, human systems, human resources. Now they were being ruled by a human king. But Israel was supposed to be different from all the other nations of the earth, weren't they? They were to be the nation that was ruled by, by God himself. And then God would put a king as a vice regent. So that that vice regent could actually depend upon God to fight the battles. To give him wisdom. To give him counsel. To give him understanding. To give him the plan. To give him the strategy. Israel was supposed to be different from all other nations of the earth. There's so much to this story. 
But now he's shifted from trusting God, and now he's trusting a different plan. And when you do that, you create a sin that bothers God. Wow. So now, verses 9 through 11, the same chapter, Gad is raised up, a seer, a prophet to David. God sends the prophet to David to announce the penalty of his sin for trusting in military might. But there's something that's going on that is greater here. David was counting the men to get Israel protected. I want you to see that David is now moving in fear. See, it's what the enemy does. You will get a promise from God, but the enemy will come in to ambush that word that is spoken to get you moving in anxiety, to get you moving in panic, to get you moving in unbelief, to get you moving in fear. And once he begins to sow those seeds of discontent or, or expectations that are not being met and all these other things, he starts sowing all those little seeds. He gets you moving in fear and, and insecurity. And, I, I, you know, that's what the enemy does. Don't you see? That's what Satan, not a, not a demon, Satan himself was warring against David. This is big stuff. This is epic battle. This is an epic battle. Because David had to believe the word of the Lord. God was trying to teach David something. What was he trying to teach him? Solomon's protection would be the exact same as David. His protection would be the Lord. David, Solomon's protection is going to be me. Not in the might and the strength of your men that are ready for war and battle. Come on, are you tracking with me? He's saying... Your son's protection is going to be me, the Lord your God. Not your army, not your strength, not your ability, not your resource, not your money. David, it's not even going to be your name. It's going to be me. So David makes a choice. Do you see the three choices? He said you can have three years of famine, two months of being chased by your military enemies and having them kick your butt. Or three days of plague. And David makes a great choice. This is, and it surprised all of you, didn't it? It surprised me when I first started reading this years ago and went, whoa. David says this. He says, God, I'd rather be at your mercy than at the mercies of humans. Wow. I would rather be at your mercy than at the mercy of humans. He says, so give me anything but number two. <laughs> you decide. So the angel moves across the country of Israel, and look what it says. It says 70,000 people die. But when the angel of death comes to Jerusalem, God already has a soft spot inside of his heart for that place, for that city that is holy unto him. And he puts out his hand, and he says, stop. In the name of love, stop. Enough is enough. Now the place... Where the angel stopped is where? It's Mount Moriah. Are you tracking with me? It's the Temple Mound. It's the Temple Mount. What happened on Mount Moriah? Now, we're not just doing history lessons again, remember? On Mount Moriah, Abraham climbed to the top of Mount Moriah to offer Isaac, right? 
And now David is coming to this threshing floor owned by a man named Ornan. And he comes to this threshing floor ready to buy. And God has stopped the judgment. The plague is about to be broken. Ornan the Jebusite, not one of God's people. There he is on the threshing floor. And look what he's doing. It says he's separating the grain from the wheat. The grain from the chaff, it's being tossed into the air. It's being separated. I want to tell you, this is a symbolism right here of harvest and judgment. Where was it happening? It's happening on the Temple Mount. This is a symbolism prophetically to us of harvest and judgment. And the plague is like this. I want to give you New Testament for this. This is like Jesus looking at Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, if you pick up that sword, that sword's going to kill you. If you pick up that sword, you're going to die by that sword. David, if you want to go to war, you can have war. But David, I have given you a, a word, a sure prophetic word of entering into my rest and into peace. Will you receive that word? Do you know there's a lot of churches right now spinning their wheels and spinning their wheels engaged in massive, massive spiritual warfare. And the reason is, is because they haven't yet entered into the fullness of the victory that Christ has won over the enemy. There is a place where God will take the body of Christ in the nations of the earth, in the state, in our city for a people who will enter into the rest of the Lord and go forth conquering by a place of victory that Jesus has already established by covenant love. Paul said to Timothy, he said, I want you to wage a good warfare by using the prophecies that were spoken over you. You wage a good warfare. How do you do it? By believing the word of the Lord. You wage a good warfare that is victorious by using the word that God gave you from a place of victory. And if you don't do it, you're going to do it another way. You know how you do it? You'll go grappling for the promises. You'll go grappling, grappling. And religion will always keep you grappling, wishing you could get on and get in on what God has done. But God has lit us in on what he has done in his son in Christ. And he has raised us up and seated us, seated us in heavenly places far above all principalities, powers, rulers, and thrones. I'm preaching into the heavens tonight. We're going somewhere. We're going somewhere. My God, help me, Lord. David comes to the hilltop where Ornan is. He comes to the threshing floor. Ornan runs to David. He bows down to the king. And David says these words. He comes to the threshing floor and he says he wants to buy it for full price. Notice what Ornan says. He says, I'll give you the land for free. But watch this. He says, I'll give you whatever you want for free. I'll give you the oxen for the sacrifice for free. I'll give you the wheat for the grain offerings for free. Ha, this is big. Who climbed that mountain before? Abraham did. And Abraham had to come into a revelation that it was actually going to cost him everything that he had. 
he had to be moved by God through a process of apprehending a promise for Isaac. And then God says, now you got it, and now I want you to give it to me. It's kind of like Hannah praying for her son Samuel. She's prayed her whole life. But yet when she gets her promise, she says, I'm going to give it back and lend it unto the Lord. Are you seeing this? Are you tracking with me? The offering is not something that God is in need of. You may want to write it down. The offering is really not what God is in need of. It's it's not about providing ox because God needs a supper. It's not about magic. It's about our heart and our willingness to sacrifice something of our own as a sign of covenant love to God. i got to say that again. It has to be a sign between us as men to our father, as daughters under our father, that we're willing to sacrifice all that is ours in covenant love unto the Lord. It's not just about what Christ has fully done for us, but it has to come through a bride who desires his kingdom to come so strong that they devote themselves in a level of consecration. I am willing to give myself fully unto the promise of God. Wow. That's why the cost is important, isn't it? This is why the cost is important because if it really if it does not cost me then it does not mean anything about my commitment to God. If it does not cost me If it does not cost me, what will it cost you? What will it cost you? This is the question for all of us tonight. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus without sacrifice? That's an oxymoron, folks. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus without any sacrifice whatsoever? Jesus called us to a life of sacrifice He called us to a lifestyle that would literally cost our lives. Jesus said, take up your cross and die daily. Wow. I'm talking about something far more than it costing tithes and offerings. I'm talking about it costing our lives. Our lives. Sacrifice that costs us something makes it a real gift. Years ago, my wife and I had a friend, and our friend Abby went to Mozambique, Africa. She went to serve Heidi Baker. She stayed with her for many years, and Abby told us this story, and this story has never left me. She said one of the little boys there in Africa came to her and brought her a Christmas gift, and it was a seashell. And when Abby saw the seashell, she knew that that little child had walked miles and miles and miles and miles just to find that level of shell because it was in a faraway beach. And Abby said these words to the child. She said, oh, you shouldn't have gone all of that distance. You shouldn't have gone all of that way. And the child's response to her, he said, oh, no. That is part of my gift to you. 
That never left me. I pray it never leaves me. Ornan wanted to pay for the gift for David. And if he did, then it's no longer a sacrifice. See, if the government tonight decided to fund our church, guess what? <laughs> All that we're doing is, is no longer an offering to God, is it? I'm not suggesting the government's going to start funding the church. <laughs> I said at the beginning of the service, we don't want to offer God worship to him that doesn't cost us something. I want to say it to you like this tonight. We don't want to be a people who offer something to God where we don't feel it deep in the core of who we are. We want the culture of this house to be whatever we do for love. We feel it. We feel it for one another. We feel it under the Lord. We feel it for our city when we pray. We feel it in the core of who we are for our region. We feel it. Why? It's got to cost me something. It's got to cost me. It is costing me. And it is costing you. So David got to the place where he could say, Okay, God, you got me. I don't want war. I choose peace. This is so good. Here's some good news for you. The ultimate sacrifice for peace was Jesus, the anointed one. The ultimate offering for peace was given through the anointed one. And God paid the price in full through Christ. Jesus completed our warfare by destroying Satan's works. And it says in Colossians 2 and 15 that when Jesus ascended to the throne of God, that he rendered all principalities, powers, he made an open spectacle of them and taking back their authority. Remember, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. I'm quoting Matthew 28. All authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. This is where our mind has to get renewed to. Are you with me? A couple more minutes. A couple more minutes. I'm running. I'm running to break the tape. <sighs> Jesus ascended and he rendered all of those principalities, powers, rulers in high places powerless. He stripped them of their authority. Now, our mind has to be renewed to Jesus has all authority. If we don't, we will be a church who is always grappling, grappling, trying to get something for our Father, trying to move in a warfare that has already been completed, and that our warfare comes from a place of total victory, knowing we have all authority that our Father has given us by using the name of Jesus. You can't cast a devil out in the name of Elvis or John Lennon, but baby, when you get a hold of the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, that demon spirit has to go. It has to go. You get a hold of the power. When a church, when a body of, of believers, when a company of believers like get this begins to move in a revelation that Jesus has all authority, power, and dominion, then when we begin to move as the ecclesia using the name of Jesus, 
there's, a, there's going to be a transformation in the heavens and in the earth. Come on. Go ahead and shout to the Lord. I just... I've told you, I've always imagined Jesus sitting in every meeting I've ever preached. I've always imagined the Lord coming in and just sitting there, maybe next to Jim tonight, and just sitting there, and the Lord's just smiling at me and smiling at me, saying, yes, son, preach on. Tell them who I am. Tell them. Tell them who I am. Preach on, son. Preach on, son. Tell them who I am. Tell them what I've done. Galatians 1, 3 through 5, it says, grace and peace to you from God our Father, the Lord, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present age. Ephesians 5, verse 2, says, Christ loved us and gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm about to wrap it up. Yeah. It's time to wrap it up. Now, I just, what I did tonight, I could have came and gave you a little candy bar. After worship like that, I could have gave you a little ditty. A little ditty. A little granola bar. A little, a, a little Betty Joe cookie. Tonight. But tonight is a strong word. It's a strong, strong word. Why is this so important? Why did Brian go the long, long, long way around to preach us to something? Because this is important because it's about right believing in our theology. It's about right believing and it's about our theology and the revelation that's in the house. It has to be built on revelation in the house. David was ambushing what God wanted to do. Satan was buffeting. Satan was buffeting David. Go this way. Why? This is so important, and you got to pick it up tonight. Because the promise remained for Solomon to rule and reign in a lineage and a legacy of no, no warfare all the days of his reign. Now, why is that big? Book of Hebrews, again, Paul talks about this in Hebrews 4. Why is this big? Why is this so important? Because this revelation is what is going to cause us to bring transformation to this region. We're not a people who's going to be grappling, trying to struggle our way to fight the devil. I'm not going to lead people so that they get worn out and twisted and worn out and wore out and worn out, spinning their plates over the devil. We have to be a people who give no place to the devil. Ephesians 4.27, we give no place to the devil. We give no place to the devil. So that means when we establish the kingdom, we are moving out of the way those that Christ has already defeated. And our commission is what? It's to enforce the victory that Jesus has won. Our commission is to enforce 
the victory that Jesus has won. It is a finished work, and it is done, and it is finished. Now, you know what our mind does? The unrenewed mind does this trick on us. Well, Brian, that promise is pushed off for the millennium. No, the promises of God are actually yes and amen to those who believe it. I'm going to close with this. They are yes and amen. You better watch this. David was actually living in a covenant of grace when he was under the law. He accessed the covenant of grace when he was under the law. Here's what we can do. We can actually ascertain and enter into the rest before the millennium ever comes. That's what God's calling the church to do. Do you see this? This is what he's calling us to. Because if we're going to be effective, and we are being effective, and if we're going to win, and we are winning, the atmosphere is changing. We are in a season of outpouring. We have entered into it. We are in the season of rain. But we are also in a season of complete victory where we're going to crush Satan under our feet. We're going to crush Satan under our feet. And the God of peace and the God of peace shall crush Satan under your feet. I've done my very best to preach this word to you tonight. And it's going to go sustaining. And it's going to go wave upon wave upon wave upon wave. Let's stand tonight. Let's stand tonight. Come on. Hallelujah. One more minute. Would you look this way? Russ and Kim Klein came into victory, and they gave a word. And they gave a word that God was going to reveal and give us a grand prize on honor right. Some of you have been praying over a prophetic word that privately was given to me personally by Dale Mast. And the word was, Brian, an angel is taking you, a messenger angel is taking you for three months. And you've been going uphill, and you've been enduring warfare, and you've been enduring this, this headwind. But the Lord is bringing you up, and after those three months, you're going to hit right into the place, and God's going to bring you your building and your property. We are in that time right now. We are in that time right now. We just had, three weeks ago, we had John and Jolene, and when, when he said... Open your Bible to Jeremiah 32. I knew where he was going, and I was, I mean, my hair was standing up already, but my hair was standing up. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He said, you're going to hold the title deed. You're going to hold the title deed. Now, you know what happens when you're given promises? When When you're given promises and a word from the Lord, the Bible tells us that persecution comes because of the word's sake. It's not because of you. It's because of the word's sake. Affliction and, 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 and baffling and all kinds of stuff comes against the word so that the word becomes unfruitful and doesn't work in you. That's Mark chapter 4. So the enemy would like us to get in fear. The enemy would like to get you in fear. 
He'd like to get you in anxiety or, or, or to worry or panic about any promise over your life and over your family or over what's happening right here. The devil is a liar. He's a liar. So in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, would you lift your hands? I declare, Lord, I declare humbly but boldly and courageously over the body of Christ, Lord, over this covenant house, over our children, over our teenagers, over every family, over every life, the victory banner of Christ waves over your household, over your life, over your dreams, over your promises, and the enemy has no place in your families. The enemy has no place in your life. You will walk in dominion authority. You will walk and tread upon serpents. Hallelujah. You will walk and crush the enemy's head. In the name of Jesus, I decree it over you. And I decree. <laughs> It gives me joy, Lord. It gives me joy. Father, you're a God that loves to give promises. And you're a Father that loves to fulfill promises. You love to give promises. And you love to fulfill promises. So, Lord, every promise that you have spoken over our lives, over every dear friend, over every new friend, over every family, I say in the name of Jesus, come forth, spring 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 forth. Let the rains of heaven pour now and let the harvest come forth. Let the harvest come forth. Let us not say four months and then the harvest, for the harvest fields are white unto harvest. Lord, let us see our nets bursting. Let us see our nets bursting. Let us see our nets being torn open. Let us see the day. God, we're coming into that day where we will have to call partners. We will have to call partners because the harvest is so much. The catch is so much, Lord, that we will have to call others because the nets are bursting. Lord, we call in our miracle property. We call in, we call in our miracle property. We call in our miracle land. We call in the deed, the deed, the title deed into our hands right now. Hallelujah. 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 It takes courage to believe God, doesn't it? Friend, be courageous. Friend, be courageous. It takes courage to believe the word of the Lord. Be courageous in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's just praise the Lord. Thank you for listening to Victory Church of His Presence Sermon of the Week. For more information, go to our website at victoryfla.com.